Good, so last week our passage in Acts chapter 12 closed by telling how the Word of God continued to grow and be multiplied. And then it mentions the return of Saul, Barnabas, and John Mark to Antioch. So this really set the stage for the expansion of the, the gospel among the Gentiles. So today we're looking in Acts chapter 13. But remember in Acts chapter 11, in verse 19, we were introduced to the church in Antioch, where the disciples were first called Christians. And there, a wonderful church was planted as a direct result of the persecution that was happening in Jerusalem. And now remember, the church grew and really was planted, reacting to the persecution. So they didn't plan to go there and plant a church. The church came about because of the, the persecution. Um, remember, Stephen was martyred and he was killed, and many of the Christians in Jerusalem fled that persecution. So they didn't go quietly, we notice in Acts 19. The Christians didn't go quietly while they were fleeing. They were preaching and sharing the gospel to people, everybody that they came across. But here in our passage this morning, we see for the very first time the church being proactive in church planting. So the church that is going to be planted and the missionaries that they're going to send out is not because of persecution. This is an intentional um, action that the church here in Antioch is taking. They are taking the initiative to purposefully commission missionaries amongst themselves. So just a little background to the passage. Remember, Paul and Barnabas had gone to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11. They gave the, the love gift that they had collected uh, from the church in Antioch to the church in Jerusalem. Remember, the church in Jerusalem was going through a difficult famine at that time. But after they had completed their mission, they came back to the church in Antioch. And they brought with them, as we saw in Acts chapter 12, the end of Acts chapter 12, they brought with them Barnabas and John Mark. Um, so this is where we are. Up to this point, the church had no efforts with the gospel west of the Mediterranean coast. But that's all going to change in our passage this morning. So please turn to Acts chapter 13. We're just reading the first three verses this morning. The title of my message is, What is the Main Business of the Church? Acts chapter 13, we'll just read from verse 1 to verse 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work of which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Father, we ask for your help this morning as we study your word. We pray for the Spirit, Lord, to be our teacher. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand this passage. But help us not also just to be the, the hearers this morning, but to be the doers of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would lead us as a church to be 
missionally minded. That we would see that this really is the heartbeat of yourself and that we need to be having the same heartbeat as a church. Lord, please, we pray for your help. We ask that, Lord, as we prepare our hearts through the, the reading of your word, through the praying of your word, and even through the singing of your word, we pray that our hearts would be ready to now receive the word, Lord. Um, that our hearts would be clean from sin, that we would have confessed, and we would have repented. Lord, you have granted us forgiveness now, Lord. So we do ask, Lord, please speak to us for the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So many of you know, before I was sent to India as a missionary, I used to teach at a high school in Johannesburg. And I remember when I first arrived there, trying to get to know the the rest of the teachers, my colleagues. I remember meeting um, some of the more experienced teachers for the first time. And I asked one particular man, I said, I asked him a question. The question was, well, what do you teach? So the question was really trying to just to get to know him a little bit more, um, what subjects he was, he was teaching. But the teacher responded by saying this to me. He said, I teach children. I teach children. And he was dead serious. He wasn't even joking. And his answer really resonated with me. Um, he was telling me in not so many words that I needed to remember that my vocation was teaching children. I wasn't teaching design technology. And the teachers weren't teaching subjects like history, maths, or biology. They were there to teach children. That was their business, that was their vocation. But if I was to ask you today, what is the main business of the church? What would you say? Some would say that it is to care for the members, and that the church is here to visit the sick and to pray with them, or to take care of people at important transitions in life, such as marriage or, or childbirth or even funerals. I've had many people even contact me out of the blue from the phone number listed on the website asking me if I would um, help them with getting married, um, offer my services to, to marry them. And of course, many of them have never even been in a church, um, but yet they wanted that. But some say the church is here to provide guidance. Some say the church is here to provide comfort for people. But no, no doubt, these are all important functions of the church. But I would argue this morning that these functions are not the main business of the church. And if we were to start acting as if they were the main business of the church, then we miss the main business business of the church. We miss the main point of what our business is. So let me just state what our business is. The main business of the church is to obey the Holy Spirit in promoting God's glory among the nations by equipping and sending out workers to make disciples of Jesus Christ. 
One pastor in Los Angeles, he said it well, his name is Erwin McManus. He said, we can forget the main purpose of the church and somehow think that the church is here for us. And we forget that we are the church and we're here on this church to reach the lost world. Well, in our passage, we see this exactly happening with the church in Antioch, being very intentional about their main business. My first point this morning is from verse 1, simply the priority of preaching and teaching. So in this church in Antioch, remember, we know a little bit about them already, but we see there was a priority when it came to the Word of God, when it came to teaching the Bible. The Word of God, the, the teaching of the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God was really most important in this church. Look at verse 1, it says, Now they were... In the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. So Luke starts here. This is how he introduces the church. A gospel-focused, evangelical, missionary-sending church will be a church that places a high priority on the teaching and preaching of the Word. Now before talking about the missionaries, which they will do, um, the ones that they are about to send out, or even the way they sent them out, or where they are going to send them, Luke, really here, sets up the description of this church as a place where there was sound teaching. There were several gifted prophets and teachers that God used to equip the people here in Antioch. Now, teacher and prophet really has a has an overlapping sense here in their roles. Both of them centered on proclaiming the truths of God's Word. And the prophet may be more of a preacher, and the teacher would be one that gives more systematic instruction of the truths that were handed down by the apostles. In Acts chapter 4, we see in verse 11 and in verse 12, the scriptures tell us that Jesus has given, um, sorry, Ephesians, not Acts, in Ephesians, We've looked at that already. Rob preached a message from there. We saw that the church was gifted apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And uh, Rob mentioned in his sermon there that the gift of a prophet was to foretell and to foretell. Now, I hope you remember what the difference is. Um, fourth tell is to tell forth, which means that they speak forth a live message from God for the hour. Remember when Nathan approached David and he pointed his finger at David and said, you are the man, you are the one who is guilty of the sin. He was, he was forth telling. He was being very brave and bold in the proclamation of the gospel. The other um, function is to foretell. Foretell really means to predict. And we know, we see that in the Old Testament, prophets predicting the, the future um, when the Word of God came upon them. So the, the foretelling happened in the Old Testament. But I think the gift of foretelling is still a gift, an active gift today. I think of men like Paul Washer. I think of men like John MacArthur, I think of men like Vody Buchan, who are gifted 
teachers who are able to point the finger in our faces with the word of God and boldly proclaim the truths from the scriptures. So God still has, I think, that gift active today. But here five men are mentioned in this church. Five men are mentioned as being teachers or preachers and prophets. Their role in this church was very important. And two of these men will be commissioned to serve as missionaries. So in our passage, the first one mentioned is Barnabas. Now we've encountered Barnabas several times already in the book of Acts. He was a Levite. He was a Jew. He was a rich man. Uh, he was also a very caring man. He um, was an encourager. He was generous. He was supportive. And he was a, a leader in this church. And importantly, he's a, he's a native of Cyprus, um, which is where they will be going in their mission trip. Then there was Simon, oh sorry, Simeon, who is also called Niger. So if you have an ESV study Bible, you look at the footnotes there, um, the word Niger we see there is a Latin word that means black or dark. It's possible that he's also from Cyrene, like um, Lucius, the man we're going to look at next. But we see here, Cyrene is a North African man. Now, at this time in history, most of the people in North Africa would have been more of a Mediterranean complexion. They, might, they would have been much darker than the other people from um, Israel. So there seems to be a deliberate point that has been made here that Simon is, Simeon is called Niger. This is probably the first black missionary in the history of the church, right here in Acts chapter 13. We then have Lucius of Cyrene. He is also from North Africa. Two black missionaries right here, two black leaders in the church. Probably he was one of the original evangelists who helped found the church in Antioch. And then there's Manion. And it's interesting, he was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, it says. Now we know about Herod. Remember last week we saw he was struck down by an angel of God um, because of his pride and because of his, his arrogance. And isn't it interesting, these two friends, these two men, Herod and Manian, they were raised up in the same, the, same, um, the same setting, but one would go in the totally opposite direction of the other. Manian turned his back on wealth and a possible position of power and influence in the courts in order to follow Christ. And then finally, the fifth man we see who is preaching and teaching in the church was Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul. So this was an incredibly ethnic, diverse congregation, as is reflected here by the pastors of the church. But I think more importantly than their ethnic diversity was the fact that this missionary sending church placed such a priority on the preaching of the word. Through these gifted men, this church was grounded, this church was well taught, and they were instructed faithfully in the word of God. But notice, secondly, this church had 
powerful, God-centered worship. And we see that in verse 2. That's my second point. These five different men learn to wait upon the Lord together and work together in leading the church. This was a plurality of elders, much like we have here at New Life Church. But look at verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord, it says. So the first word in the Greek here is the word liturgio, liturgio, which can be translated as serve, which can be translated as minister, or worship, which is in our Bible. It was used of the, the temple servants who assisted the congregation in the Old Testament worship. So this mighty move of God to change the world happened during a worship service, during a corporate worship service. But it also tells us while they were fasting, while they were fasting, they were ministering to the Lord, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. This church must have been seeking the Lord's direction for the church. And that's what people do when we fast. As a body, they wanted God's direction on where to go and what they were to, to focus on. And while they were worshipping together during the corporate worship of God, the Holy Spirit speaks to them. And last week I emphasized the fact that in the New Testament, prayer is not just a private discipline, but it is principally a corporate practice that involves the whole church, that should involve the whole church. Last week I emphasized that a church should pray together. And in the same way, our worship, our worship should not just primarily be a private act. I'm not saying we mustn't worship privately. Of course, we do that at home. We do that um, in the car, listening to Christian music. We do that praying on our own. But our worship largely should be corporate. We should be a church that is corporately worshipping together. Where the people of God come together to give praise and worship to God the Father. I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. Now, the, the Christian, the professing Christian, who claims that they can live their Christian life outside of the active community that the Lord has brought together, the church, the corporate gathering of the church, you don't find that really in the Bible. I've heard people use this argument, well, the Bible says where two or three are gathered, I am there amongst them. And they argue that I don't need to go to church, I can have church in my living room with my wife and my children, and we have church together. I've had one man say to me, I don't need to go to church, I have Christian friends I play golf with, and where two or three are to get gathered together, raise laughing, we have church on the golf course. <laughs> You're putting up your hand as well. Well, I can go to the lake and have church on, on a boat. I don't need to go to I don't need to go to a building. Well the Bible doesn't doesn't talk about that. The Bible doesn't know there's no basis for that in the Bible. And there's no indication either whatsoever here in the early church, this first century church where the 
disciples were first called Christians, there's no indication that they could live their lives independently of each other. Independently, outside of the community of believers, the faith family that we see here, that are covenanted together, known as the local church. And here in Antioch, we see it is with the church that is gathered while they are worshipping God in the midst of their fasting, which really indicates the, the, the condition of their hearts. They are expecting an answer from the Lord. They are tuned in to hear from the Lord. While they are in this condition, the Holy Spirit speaks to them and gives them a clear word. Now just a little word on fasting. Fasting is, I think, somewhat neglected in our modern church. But in the Bible, it is often connected with a need to seek God's direction or to get an answer in prayer on an important matter. You know, it can be as short as skipping a meal, a single meal, and devoting that time just to praying and seeking the Lord's direction. And of course, while we're hungry, we are reminded of praying of our need to pray, and that's what um, fasting is supposed to do. The hunger pains remind us of our purpose to pray. But anyway, it was while these men took the time to worship, while they were fasting, that the Lord God gave them really this history-changing mandate. And in all of this, I think it's easy to get so busy in serving the Lord that we fail to take the time to meet with the Lord in worship and prayer. And I hope you see that here in our passage this morning. How important worshipping corporately was to this early church. Kevin DeYoung, uh, he's a well-known Christian author. He wrote a book called Crazy Busy. If you have not read it, I would highly recommend it. It's downstairs in the, the bookshop. It's a small book, so you don't have to spend a lot of time if you're very busy. <laughs> but it's available. But in the book, he says, I'm too busy. We've all heard it. We've all said it. And all too often, busyness gets the best of us. Well, that wasn't happening with this church. I think that behind... So much of our spiritual failures and sometimes even our spiritual laziness is because we are so busy with being busy. We don't block out enough time to draw near to the Lord, to worship Him. Not just privately, but corporately as well. We don't block out enough time to get together with the saints and encourage each other in our walk with the Lord. It's important that we do that. Now, how, how much time do we spend at work? And how much time do we spend corporately walking with the Lord? That's why we need to make time to get together in our home groups. That's why we need to make time to get together to pray corporately. Because otherwise, we use the same excuse that everyone else does. I'm too busy, and busyness gets the best of us. But notice the lesson here we can learn from these leaders in these verses. Even though they had a great number of people in this church at Antioch, many of them were from pagan backgrounds. Um, I'm sure there were many people that with different types of needs 
that were crying for attention. But despite all of the challenges that these leaders were facing, what did these leaders do? They spent time worshipping. They spent time fasting. They spent time praying. It was a priority for them. While they were seeking the Lord, while they were asking for His direction for the ministry of the church, it was their priority. We see in the second part of verse 2, that these leaders sought the Lord, and the Lord answered them. The Lord honored them. But they might not have liked the answer that they received. We see in the second part of the verse 2, Barnabas and Saul were selected. They were two of the most gifted men in the church. And God sends these gifted men out as missionaries. They would have obviously left a big hole in the ministry of the, the local church. The other leaders now would have had to take up the, the extra um, responsibilities that these two gifted leaders had left behind. Extra burden for these other three leaders. But despite that, despite the challenges, we see they obeyed and they trusted God to really make up the difference and to raise up other men. And it's interesting that these men were, were sent out and there isn't a word about what is usually on our minds here in the beginning. We don't hear about how they are supported, whether the church got behind their support, how much they, they gave them. Uh, we don't know whether they collected a one-time love offering to cover all of their, their living expenses or um, whatever that they needed to, to live. We don't, we don't have all those details here. But I think the impressive thing here in this passage is that there wasn't mumbling, there wasn't grumbling, there wasn't complaining, there wasn't any protesting here. What we see here in the passage is that the church obeyed the Spirit's direction and released these gifted men for ministry outside of the church. And that leads to my last point this morning in verse 3. They prompt unquestioned obedience. Look at verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the Holy Spirit spoke to them, they obeyed the voice of the Spirit, and they submitted themselves to this call. There was no time really that has been wasted here. They immediately planned a setting aside service. And they told Paul and Barnabas to get their stuff, get their passports, get all their vaccinations, get their money, get their food, and they prepared for them probably a, a care package, and they sent them off. They sent them off. And the message the church received was to release their best for missionary service. And their sincerity proved that they were willing to do this. And this is typical of churches that have a missionary vision. Churches whose aim is more than just maintaining themselves, more than just surviving. 
if I would have been in that church meeting and, and if I was not walking in step with the Spirit but was walking in the, in the flesh, I may have protested. I mean, you know, Barnabas and Saul, they're two of our best guys. Why, why are we sending them? Why don't you rather send out Lucius? Don't send Barnabas out. I mean, you know, that guy is so gifted. He's such an encourager. He's a tremendous asset to our church. Let's keep him rather. And besides that, He's rich. <laughs> He's wealthy. He's a generous giver. We're going to miss him. Don't send him out. Our church budget will be significantly affected if he goes. Don't send him out. And don't send Saul either. He's one of the greatest gifted teachers that this century has ever known. I mean, he's going to write half of the New Testament, isn't he? Why don't we keep him rather? Let's not send him out. Let's send many and out rather let's let's send somebody else i think that's how our flesh would respond my flesh would have responded let's keep the brightest and the best here for ourselves i hope you wouldn't respond like that but the mission field is not the place where we send people who don't have anything else to do the mission field is where we send our brightest and our best just like the church in Antioch did. That's the church, that's how the church should respond. Why? Well, because that's who God called by His Spirit to this mission. And they were willing to obey. Are we willing as a church to make the difficult sacrifices of missionary efforts? That's my question to, to all of us this morning. You know, we plan to send out Vicky and Pedro once he has finished with his studies to Angola. And this is going to hurt us as a church. You know, we all love Pedro and we all know how while they serve the body, there's going to be a big gap, a big hole when they leave. And I have no doubt when it gets closer to the time, we're going to have people ask us, why don't we, why don't we keep them here in Abu Dhabi? We need them. You know, why? Why don't we send somebody else rather? <laughs> People may ask, can we really afford to send Pedro and Vicky? Besides Pedro and Vicky, what if the Lord was calling you to become a missionary? Would you be willing to count the cost and unquestioningly answer the call? Now, what if God raises up more missionaries here from New Life Church? How would we respond? Will we balk at the idea of all the extra expenses that would cost us as a church? You know, we need to make sacrifices. We need to forego that new car that I was hoping to buy so that I can give more to missions, to support the, 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 missionary, um, the missionary ministry of our church. Why would, why would the, the elders ask me to do that? Is that really something we should be doing? I think churches measure their success in the wrong ways. We measure our success by the number of people in the seats normally, isn't it? I mean, you, you hear people saying, well, the church can seat 500 people. Or the church can seat 400 people, whatever it is. I mean, that shouldn't be how we measure success. I think we measure success biblically 
By how many people we send out of the church. By how many people the church sends out. And I pray that we as a church, as New Life Church, would do that. Let us measure growth not by the percentage of increase in our attendance, but by the percentage of our congregation that is actively involved in missions. Let us encourage those among us to go out from us with our blessing and support to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You know, we have such an opportunity here at New Life Church, and I've said it so many times. We are a transitional church. People come here for some time, and then they leave. Let's be intentional. Come, get equipped, and leave with the intention of being missional wherever the Lord sends you. Wherever the Lord puts you. And David Livingston once said, God only had one son, and he was a missionary. I mentioned earlier on, or well, Pedro mentioned, about the missions team that we want to be starting soon. And I would encourage you to come and join that and find out about how we can become more missionally minded as a church and be part of helping us as a church to go in that direction. To be more intentional with the missionaries that we have. To be praying for our missionaries more. To be communicating with them more. To help us um, prepare and plan uh, missions conferences. Help us be more missionally minded as we are supposed to be. I want to introduce you this morning to another ministry partner that we will be supporting. And you will hear more about him later on, Pastor Nilesh Hivali from India, from Maharashtra. He's another missionary partner that we are going to be supporting. And hopefully soon going to visit as well. And we want to promote short-term missions trips and going to visit our missionaries and encourage them in the work of the ministry that they are doing. But that's not going to happen unless we are missionally motivated. Unless we get behind the efforts of missions in our church. To be more missionally minded. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 and 6. In love. He predestined us for adoption. To himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. You know, there are people out there who need to be saved. And we see in this passage that God saves sinners to the praise of the glory of His grace. And we, New Life Church, have the privilege of being part of His supreme goal of history, His story. We get to be involved in this mission as a church. And simply, my message to you this morning, we're going to look more into this as we go through the book of Acts, especially in the next passage.
But my challenge to us as a church this morning is let's keep our main business the main business. Let's keep our main business in focus here. And not forget why the Lord has brought us together. It's not just to maintain ourselves. It's not, it's not just to survive. We have a mission from the Lord. And the mission is to obey the Holy Spirit in promoting God's glory among the nations by equipping each other to make disciples and by sending out workers called by God to preach the gospel. And that is my prayer that we, New Life Church, would be missionally minded, helping each other, coming alongside each other, equipping each other to make, to effectively make disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world as well. For His glory and for our joy. Father, we thank you for this passage. This is not a very complicated passage this morning. But we do see here, Lord, the heartbeat of the New Testament church. We see them faithfully obeying you without even hesitation. We see them faithfully following the mandate that you have given to them as a church. And Father, it is my heart's desire that we would be a church that are involved in ministering Christ to the nations. Because that is your desire for us, Lord. And Lord, we pray according to your will. And we know this is your will. We see it clearly in the scriptures. This is not a scheme or a a strategy or even a program that the church has invented. This is what you have mandated for us in the scriptures. So Lord, please, may, may you teach us and help us, Lord, to make the necessary changes that we need to make. And not use our busyness as an excuse to not be involved in the Great Commission. Father, please use us to be intentional about reaching the lost, even those that we meet every single day in our workplace or in our school or in our college. May we be reminded, Lord, of the very business that you have called us here as a church. The very reason you have left us here on this earth. To make disciples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Father, please use this word for your glory and for our joy and help us to respond in a way that would glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.